Hello, we'll start with your feedback on the Wickham defeat. Not as many comments as normal, and that is probably summed up by Trevor Griffiths. Rinse and repeat. Unguesty road ender. Apathy reigns at the moment. Roger Wakefield says it was dire. Every move starts with a backwards pass. Mark Ayer's comments roll on August. We Are Crew has turned off Twitter notifications now, as we all know how it'll pan out. Chris Thompson thinks if you give a team a two-goal head start, then you'll lose more than you'll win. Luke Bevington thinks relegation is now a formality. Lack of quality and flexibility has hurt us all season. There were some who found some crumbs of positivity, though. Steve Bennett thought we gave as good as we got overall, but like Oxford, we didn't have enough to get the equaliser. Ben Benson thought three of the back four had good games, but cryptically didn't say who they were. Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. Just the one game this week, the home defeat to Wickham to have a look at. As ever, we have our three panellists. They are Steve Davis. Hi, Steve. Morning, Stu. Thanks for having me back. No problem. Steve Dale. Hi, Steve. Morning, Stu. And a third panellist, not called Steve, it's Gary Pearson. Morning, Gary. Hi. Morning. Okay, um, we'll start then with a rarity this season, um, an unchanged 11, and crew were searching for an even rarer thing, a second league win in a row, which they didn't get. Steve Davis, do you want to start us off with just, is this part, is this um, lack of continuity a big part of the problem this year? Um, I think any team that is in the bottom, near the bottom of the league, nobody is, has got any continuity about them. Um, what I would say in sort of defence of Artel, maybe, there's a lot of players out. We were, I was actually walking to the ground with Alex yesterday and we went through the players that aren't available and there's about nine. I think the two wing-backs are out injured. Um, BC, the two, Yuanke and the lad from Arsenal. Um, Mika's out, Ben Knight, Kashket. There's probably about eight players, eight or nine players that would probably start. So... I think mean, yeah, it is it is hard to get continuity. Um, certainly in team selections, but it was good yesterday. Obviously, off the back of a win to see see the same same team selected. Steve Dale, I'll come to you. Um, normally after the game, I'll put out a tweet and ask for people's response uh, on what they thought. And to be honest with you, we're normally looking at about thirty uh, responses for a home game. Yesterday, I received nine or ten. And quite a few of them are talking about the apathy around the club at the moment. Was that something that you felt at the stadium? Obviously, I'm at home watching it. You're there. Was it was it evident this apathy is there? Yeah, pretty much. You you have got to the stage now where you turn up and you're hoping a, a, a fighting performance, for want of a better word, is a bonus. I, th- I think what you've said about only receiving a minority of comments compared to what you normally do pretty much sums it up. Football's an emotional game. And... I think we are past the point of dealing with emotion with emotions now when it comes to it. And I, I know I I know I've lost a lot of interest and a lot of others have. And I, I think I think that's where we're going to be now for the rest of the season until we are finally either put out of a misery or have the greatest run in the history of football, which I think is very unlikely. But yeah, it's it it, it it's a case of inevitability. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Gary, did you turn up at the ground yesterday expecting anything or 
was the result pretty much what you assumed would happen? Um, yeah. Um, where, where, wherever we are, um, a game against Wickham doesn't really promise much anyway. And um, going back to the, the idea of the question, um, no, I've got to the point now where I don't expect much. When the first goal went in, I just didn't react at all. Not even angry, not upset. I just, oh God, here we go again. Um, so, and that was much the case around as well. Uh, nobody got too bothered. Um, it was good that there was a lot, there was a bit more chanting from the crowd though, um, at times. And they did rally a bit in the second half, but there were still really annoying things about it. I've got to the point now where, where motivation is, is low and uh, habit is high. I think that's where we're at, ultimately, that a goal we conceded like the first one yesterday is just a case of just throwing your arms up in the air and going, oh, well, there we go again. But it doesn't, doesn't fill me with any anger anymore. It's, it's inevitable, unfortunately. It, it, it just simply, we're just simply not at the level, and I think it's just a case of having to accept it. Can I just jump in there, then? Because I thought, watching on TV, that there was a case to be made, at least for shouting handball at Sam Vokes. You know, I don't know what part of the body it hit. And I also thought, is there not a case to shout offside at Sam Vokes being involved in play? Now, when you're watching crew, there's one camera angle and that's it. So what you can see on TV the first time around is all you'll see in the replay. Uh, so I don't know whether I'm right or wrong, but nobody, and Gary, it's a point you made, no one in the stands seemed bothered and none of the players seemed bothered either. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. But Having watched it, I still can't tell where it's hit Sam Vokes and gone in. And I still think it's near his arm. I think it's at his backside, to be honest with you, and gone in. It, it, it generally is one off his, his backside and, and gone through Dave's legs. It was They're such a bizarre of... goal, because I've watched it three or four times this morning um, in preparation for this, and I still can't work out whose fault it was. It was either a really, really clever move by them that, that just shows the level above they are, or... It, it was absolutely terrible defending. I'm, I'm still trying to work out which one it was. It was a bit of both, I think, because um, that actual play in from the wing and then chip over the top, they played three times. We didn't learn from it. So that's a bit of bad defending. And also, I didn't notice Vokes so much in that goal because I was too busy focusing on, on Travis Johnson backpedalling. As the as whoever it was brought the ball in, um, and I was thinking, why is he backpedalling when he's right in front of the goal? And so it was pretty poor defending. In mainly. terms of whose blame it was, I would put it as we've got a striker playing left wing back, and they're a striker yeah. and they don't know what they're doing. And when that run goes in, he just sort of watches them go uh, because he doesn't know how to play left wing back. So whilst it's his man. I also wouldn't necessarily say it is his fault. Or is it, um, Steve Dale, because he is playing there? I honestly don't know the answer, Stu. There was four or five in there that I think you could possibly play. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting the blame at his door, but um, obviously he's a young lad and O'Reilly at the back post was getting pinned. He couldn't get out either. Offered seems to be nowhere to be seen. Dan Adji was, 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 was ball watching. It was just, 
a terrible. It was, it, it was a goal that summed, summed up our season, to be fair. It, it, and, and the worst thing about it was, I thought for the first, well, I, I thought we were okay anyway, but I thought for the first 15 minutes we were quite bright. Um, and then we go and give a go, give away a simple goal, and it's a oh, here we are again kind of thing. I think it was the um, the run off Adji. Um, we'll probably talk about this later on in the pod, but yeah, the run the run off Adji didn't help, and I think that's probably why I went to a back four at, at half time. Um, so if you're looking to point blame, but it's still a bit of a freak goal. It has come off his backside, it could have gone anywhere. You know, if we were in that position, would it have gone wide or, or whatnot? It's well, it is a comical goal and it probably sums up where we are. So, yeah. if we'd have been attacked, would we have had those numbers in the box? It's another bugbear of the season. It does seem to happen when you're down there. You do get, you just do get them goals go against you. And they have one in the first half that goes straight off his backside under the keeper. And we have one in the second half where half a hit straight to the defender and bounces out. I, I don't want to blame luck, but it, it does happen when, you, when you're down there. And I don't know why. I, I know you make your own luck at times. And, and, and maybe, like you say, Gary, there's not enough people getting themselves in the box. but it's a sign of where we are. Okay. So I, I found the game quite boring watching the first half. And then, you know, you come out second half, you expect a little bit more. Um, and then what was it? Five minutes, just over five minutes into the second half, Rakeem Harper. I mean, he plays a lovely ball through for their midfielder who slots it away to make it two nil. He got quite a lot of criticism yesterday. Um, not just for that, but for his overall play. And if I was playing devil's advocate, I'd say, I thought he was okay. You know, he's very clearly come to us unfit and he's working that fitness back. But uh, there was a couple of moments, first half when him and Long were chasing and Harry and I said, we just haven't seen enough of that this season. But that pass, I mean, that's inexcusable, isn't it, Gary? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, that's schoolboy stuff, isn't it? You don't clear from the, from the back line across your own goal at all. Um, I do worry about Harp. I mean, okay, yes, he's not fit, but he's not very sharp at all. He's very reactive, very slow getting off the mark. Um, There are times when I was watching him and I'm thinking, he doesn't seem to be proactive at all. There were times when he just stood his ground. He was the nearest player and he didn't make a move. Other players went to uh, close people down. Um, he just looked lethargic, to be honest, a lot of time. The bit that you mentioned about the, the chasing down um, with Long was the only exciting thing I saw <laughs> of the game. Well, no, that's not true. In the first half. In the first half. Second half was better. I remember when we signed him and there was a lot of feeling that we've signed a player that's worth £500,000 and now we've got him. And I think yesterday sort of explained why we have a little bit. He, I, I'm with you, Stu. I didn't think he was that bad in the first half. He's, he's, he's certainly something different than what we've got and he's, he's got that little bit of strength that the others haven't. But to me, he looks like somebody who's got ability but hasn't... This might sound harsh, but he doesn't have the brains to go with it. Like there was times in the second half where he was... He's running down the right wing and he's playing defensive midfield and he just sort of that he's sort of looking at me going, "That's your man, mate." You know, it's, it, he's he's definitely going to make a career at this level, if not higher, because you can see he's got something. But I don't. But unless he learns the basic sort of crust of football, that seems to be the case. I think he's he's going to 
find himself at clubs like, you know, in cruise situation more often. In fairness to the, the passing, obviously, Steve, you were sat behind me. I do actually think he was a little bit blindsided. The guy was behind, I think he, he might have been behind Tommy Lowry. So he clearly didn't see him. So, you know, from that point of view, I mean, it was still a shocking pass anyway, but I do think he was a little bit, a little bit blindsided. But is he, he looks a good athlete. He's built, he's built well. He just, I don't know if it's just his attitude or, or not. His, his running style. I, I don't want to class him as lazy because I think that's that's unfair. But it's almost like you want more from him. You can see he's got attributes, and you don't go from sort of you don't go for like say half a million quid if you. You've not got nothing about you. You just want you want to see more out of him. And you're right. I was sat behind you, and I've got to say about the goal, it was it was a, a bad pass first and foremost. But I mean, the guy's literally had two two touches, and it's in the far corner. It's that there there are some things that happens throughout the season where you think that this is a harsh level for our players to be at. And I know Harper isn't uh, Connor O'Reardon, who's just starting his career, but we, we we make one mistake and it's a goal. We're, I don't want to blame the standard and again, I don't want to blame the luck at all because, you, like I said before, you do make your own luck but, but at times like that, you just have to hold your hands up and go, one mistake, goal, game over. And we actually we actually come out in the second half, obviously he changed it, he went four at the back and better team might be stretching it but we're having a lot of the ball, we were in the game, like we were in there, we played the start of the second half in their half um, and that's one mistake like you say, bang, goal, 2-0, you're up against it. And that's why, I'm, again, I'm blaming Luck a little bit because I agree with you. I don't think we were, I don't think it was a 2-0 scoreline at that stage, but it was, it was just so clinical. It really was. Well, it looked like, you know, 2-0, like you say, we were dead and buried. I, I didn't really see um, an opportunity to get back in the game. But, Gary, we did get back in the game, didn't we? We did. It was, it was quite surprisingly, but very cheering to see them having a go and um, the best crafted goal was ours wonderful work from Lowry around the box um, but also it got the crowd going as well um, although at this point um, I have to say that I was bemused by the fact that we had four people up front for the last, for all of the extra time, the added time, and barely a forward pass was made in that time. So I'm not quite sure what the instructions were on the pitch. We had four players running up front and the ball kept going backwards. In fact, the third goal came from us playing backwards. And I'd, I'd like to pick up something from the last time I was on when I criticised the playing from the back. It's not the idea of the playing from the back. At the Alex, we're not playing from the back, we're playing backwards a lot of the time. And you don't score goals when your main touches are from the goalkeeper and the centre-halves. Steve Davis, substitutions. It's a thing we haven't really talked about a lot this season, but it's something that I don't know. I seem to think every crew manager that I've ever known that managed crew in my lifetime has had criticised for. Yesterday, two on down, possibility of getting something out of the game. And it's not until the 81st minute, I believe, that he changed anything. Do you think that's down to 
not having anyone better on the bench or was there a belief that this 11 out there on the pitch is doing okay and we could snatch a snatch a result here? Probably a bit of both. As I alluded to before, with the players out, there was no one on there that you would call for his name to be to be brought on. Um, you've got a first-year pro in Connor. So I don't even know if he is a first-year pro, but obviously Connor Salisbury, which we've seen a lot of in a youth team. And you've got Tyrese, um, who's made one substitute appearance. So we've, we've only got anybody on the bench that you think, let's you know bring on to, to change the game. So I, I do think it is a it is a bit of both. And was it too late to bring the subs on? Probably, but we didn't actually. <laughs> this sounds really stupid because we lost three one. But in the second half, we had a lot of the ball. Yes, we didn't create a great deal, but I probably wouldn't have changed it myself. There was, like I say, with, with the options on the bench. Um, yeah, it's it is a difficult one because I, I don't think we have the options that <clears throat> we haven't got anyone on there that would, would come on and sort of give us that spark that we needed. So, but that tells you where we are as a squad as well. So. I know I certainly wasn't screaming for subs and I'm not, I'm no football expert by any means, but there are, there are times of season when you're sort of screaming, oh, Murphy's on the bench or somebody else on the bench. But I didn't at any stage think, think we need, like we've, I didn't even consider a substitution. Yet. Yeah, I think there's a, when you're in the ground, there's always murmurs and oh, get, you know, hmm. get Finney on or get someone else on. And certainly around where we were, there was no one talking like that. There was no one calling for subs. It probably explains, it probably gives you your answer, really, Stu. But there was a lot of moans when um, Finney was brought on, around me anyway. And considering his first contribution to the game was a misplaced two-yard pass that went out for a throw-in, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I didn't actually mind Finney coming on because I actually think he's, He's better in a four-three-three than he is in a in a three-five-two. He does generally find the pockets, but he, he didn't really do anything when he came on anyway, did he? Let's be honest. He knocked it out, and then I think he we had that free kick with him about a minute to go, and he just smashed it over the back post. So yeah, I don't want to jump on the insult Ollie Finney bandwagon, but that free kick summed up the season he's having. Like you know, he's got an opportunity to chip it into the box, edge of the area looking for an equaliser and what does he do puts it straight out for a goal kick the most frustrating thing for me was it wasn't unexpected I don't actually get why why he took that free kick <clears throat> Larry was clearly the best player on the pitch never mind our best player why why didn't Tommy pull it in I don't know only they can answer that question I guess but yeah just while we're on substitutions there was a situation in the second half and I'm I'm still trying to work out what it was what did the when with the Chris Long going off substitution, the crowd went up a little bit. Did Artel change his mind, or did the fourth fisher make a mistake? Because it, it it seems to be that Artel sort of insisted that there was a mistake made, but it's to me it seems a little bit harsh, hard to mix up seven and fifteen on the board. So I'm still trying to work out to myself what it was. I I hope the fourth fisher made a mistake and Artel didn't just hear the reaction of the crowd and change his mind because that to me shows a little bit of weakness almost. Maybe sounds a bit harsh, but. I don't know what the other two of you thought. I think Cartel would have to be a very good actor to go in by his reaction. Um, I would I would say it was a mistake. I don't know how the mistake was made because I was trying to work out what number was going to come off that was similar. But I, I, I think it must have been an official mistake going by just watching Artel himself. 
I know we can all look um, exasperated by somebody else's mistake, but I think that was pretty convincing, unless he's the best actor I've ever seen. It looked, it looked to me like um, Kenny noticed the, board, the number on the board and ran over and told Dave, and then Dave Artel noticed the number as well and ran over and said, no, no, no. So, yeah, unless they've sort of managed to get this double act in tandem based on a split second from crowd reaction, I genuinely do think it was the wrong number was put on the board. Uh, I don't think he's given up to the degree where he's just willing to go on a popularity contest from the fans' reactions at this stage. Um, Before we move on from Wickham then, is there anything anyone wants to add before we do move on to other topics? Yeah, I'd like to bring up the referee. Now, we all know what to expect from Wickham, but I think that the referee seemed to play right into their hands. Um, And he didn't, I don't know, he didn't even seem to be aware that anything was going. Every time I looked at him, while their, their antics were going on, he was looking the other way, sort of not seemingly aware of what was going on. Um, it was a long time before he spoke to the keeper. And of course, the, it didn't have any impact whatsoever. But it was almost the last 10 minutes of the game before he spoke to the keeper about messing about. Um, he just seemed totally oblivious to, to their tactics. And, you know, we don't need to give away an advantage, but that referee was certainly an advantage to Wickham's standard play. I certainly think he... I don't actually think he had a bad game in, in terms of decision-making, but Stockdale was sort of slowing the game down from the first half, really. And I think a sharper referee would have probably certainly had a word of him earlier than he did. That's for sure. But they are, that is Wickham's game, isn't it? They are, they've made a, a habit out of that, running the clock down. Um, so, it, like I say, it was no, it was no surprise, but I, I think he should have stamped it out earlier, in fairness. Now, I've got no personal problem with the, well, I say I've got no personal problem with it. I do on a entertainment side because it's the most boring thing you can do, but it's not it's not as much the time wasting the problem. It's it's like Gary said, it's the fact the referee let it go. If the referee stamps it out early early doors, then it's it doesn't become the issue that it became later in the game. So I I, I don't know whether the referee was just oblivious to it or lost his nerve a little bit. But if he if he makes a decision early doors, it it stops all that. And and I do think to give us some credit, I do think it it stops. Was having a bit more momentum, especially in the second half, because every time we got the ball, it was just a case of one of their players went down, and that was it for another five minutes, and it took the whole sting out of anything we had. Yeah, like I said they are a, as much as they are what in in the playoffs, aren't they? But I wouldn't want to watch that every week from them if I was a Wickham fan, if I'm honest. Um, but they get the job done, don't they? So, okay, let's move on then uh, from the Wickham game and have a little look at the games coming up this next week. But before that, we'll have a little look at the women's team who were in action on Sunday away to Cheadle Town. OK, so we have uh, Lauren Cooper again this week, uh, following a nil-nil draw to Cheadle Town. So just start with how do you feel the game was? Do you feel like it was a fair result? I think, yeah, nil-nil was probably... Well, a draw was probably a fair result. Um Neither team really created the big chance to to, to score the goal that, that would win the game for them. I think um, we really grew into the game. Um, I think in the second half we definitely had control of the game and 
you know, we perhaps could have created a few more chances, but that kind of the way the way the way it fell in the end. Um, it seemed to be to me a quite a stop-start game with quite a few injuries to players and uh, different different instances really where the game took forever to restart. Do you feel like that affected your the way you guys played? Yeah, I think in the first half, you know, it was quite free flow, and we had an injury to our keeper, who luckily managed to play on um, to play on, so we didn't have to put anyone else in goal. Um, but then in the second half, the opposition made it very stop-start. You know, we're going down with cramp and kind of injuries and stuff and there was almost seemed to be a stoppage every five seconds um, which obviously played into their hands because I think they were playing for the draw the manager was kind of happy with the draw whereas we weren't we kind of wanted to win okay, and obviously big game coming up next week league leaders in Merseyrail um, what do you take forward from this week and how, how are you going to approach this upcoming game yeah I think you know every game is a big game now towards the end of the season but next week especially playing the league leaders um we know what they're like. We played them at home. We got to travel to their place, try and get a result. Um, they're a good team. They're a good outfit. I think from this week we take take away our performance. Of you know we got a clean sheet. We you can always build on a clean sheet. Um, big week of training and see what happens next Sunday. Okay, brilliant. Well, all the best for the upcoming game, and uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll start our previews with the rearranged game against Portsmouth on Tuesday. Um, guys, we haven't got Dr. Andy back on, as it was only a couple of weeks ago that we spoke to him, so it's all up to you. Um, what did you make of the postponement the first time round? Were any of you on your way to the game before it was called off? I'd already, well, I'd actually just stepped off the train from Manchester when another person in front of me, who happened to be a Portsmouth fan, but lived in Cheadle Hume, so he hadn't travelled as far as most of them had. So suddenly said, oh, it's off. Um, which was really exasperating. The timing was fantastic because I had literally just stepped off the train. I'd been checking my phone all morning to see if there was any notice of the possibility of it being off because we've got a bad record in this from previous years. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty pissed off. Um, I got the next. I got the same train back. I got a cup of coffee, got back on the same train, and went back. So it's a very expensive cup of coffee. <laughs> I, I actually cursed my luck a little bit because I wasn't actually going to the game. I was away for the weekend, and it was due to be the only home game all season that I'd missed. So I, I'd, I'd been on the London Underground. It's about quarter to two, I think. Got onto my stop to get to my hotel, got off it, and got a got me notification on my phone saying the game was off. So this is just my luck. Got the, had the worst season. Worst, worst season for a very long time and it, it, I finally get to miss a game and now I'm going to go to the rearranged one. Sums it all up, really. Yeah, I, I'm fairly lucky. I live 10 minutes on the ground, so there was no need to leave. Um, it, was a, it was a bit of a joke decision. Anyone with a weather app on their phone or sad enough to have a weather app could see that there was no rain from two o'clock and lo and behold, there wasn't. So, yeah, I did feel for the 1,500 or so Portsmouth fans that are in crew at the time. Um, it's also loss of revenue for ourselves, isn't it? They're not going to bring that money again on Tuesday. Um, so we've unfortunately we've had to take the financial hit on that as well. Yeah. I mean, you've just managed to annoy everyone with a weather app on their phone, Steve. There, you know, the, the bigger, big, <laughs> big weather will be after you. Um, last time Portsmouth were due to come up, they were 11th, they're now 10th. Uh, they also beat Accrington 4 0 on Saturday. 
Um, but they are going to be up here without Marcus Harness, who is one of those players that always seems to score against us. So it's going to be a tough game, isn't it, Gary? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the big question is, <laughs> do, can we get enthusiastic about going to it? Um, it's going to be a big game. Um, they are in a position that we seem to have some relative success against. Success, of course, here is relative. Um, so, in other words, we might not lose as heavily as we do to some teams. Um, I don't know. I'm, it's difficult to get motivated enough now to even think of a prediction for the game. Um, we'll lose, but I'm not sure by what score. Go along with that, Steve Dale. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Portsmouth. Every time we play them, I always seem to get a bad feeling. And I'm not really sure why. I think it's just because they are, in my opinion, one of the league's serial underachievers. And every time you seem to be in this division, you think, oh, they've got a chance of going up this year and they never actually do it. Um, I'm totally on the same lines that I think we'll lose, but I, I, I don't know what scoreline either. It'll just be a case of... It, it, I just hope that we're in the game for as long as possible, like I always do. They are in a pretty decent run of form as well, aren't they? So um, that doesn't really bode well. One thing I would say about staying in the game, and this is where we are, which is, is, is nothing to be celebrated. We have, sort of since Atkinson, we, I think we played Oxford and we stayed in the game as long as we could against them. You know, we somehow went and won at Cheltenham. But we were in the game yesterday till the 90th minute. And like I say, maybe it is where we are, but it's nothing to be celebrated. But I think it is about staying in games as long as we possibly can. Because when, if you're in the game, anything can happen, really. And I think that's worth mentioning, Steve, that right now, if we're being honest, the, the squad probably on paper isn't good enough for this level. That's, it might say again, it might sound harsh, but it's probably reality. So right now, I think that's, if we're being honest, that is what we cast for, for to be competitive. And I think at least in the last few games, uh, I know we beat Cheltenham last week, but... And that's worth mentioning anyway. But I think, but I think as fans, that's that's what we can hope for for the rest of the season. I think if we do that, then we can at least take some positive somewhere. Like I say, then there's no Portsmouth fan preview this week, so we'll jump straight on to Sunderland. Um, <clears throat> Steve Dale, you mentioned before we started recording, you're going. <laughs> and this has been quite a negative pod and I'm going to carry on with the negativity for a second, but you're going simply because it's a new ground and you're not sure when the next chances will be able to go there as crew fans. Um, it, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I'm, I'm on the Sandbach Trail now this weekend, so it should be a good one. Good away ship anyway. Um, but I, I, yeah, I honestly think if it wasn't a new ground, I think I'd probably stay at the seafront. I'd probably do something else. Yeah. I don't know when we'll, We'll get the chance to play Sunderland again. I mean, we, we might have an we might have an unbelievable next season and get back to this level. But but apart from that, um, it's a ground that we don't get to visit very often. And I think, well, I've got the chance. I'm going to make the opportunity, even if I might regret it at half five next week. Yeah, Steve Davis. Um, it's probably one of the two big ones left for Alex fans this season. This one in Hillsborough. Um, are you expecting a big number on Saturday next weekend? Um. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine so. Obviously, the, the weekend is happening and from the, everyone that I've spoken to, um, everyone seems to be making the trip, me included. So um, I would expect a sizable number. Um, 
And you know what? It's going to be for the young lads, the O'Reardons of this world and Griffiths. It's, it's going to be a decent experience for them. Hopefully, it, they don't get overawed by it and we end up getting getting tanked. Um, but yeah, it's. I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to it, especially the, the game, but it, it'll be a good occasion for the players, that's for sure. And it's more experience for them, isn't it? You know, they're not, we're not going to be playing at these sort of places next season. So we sort of somehow need to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, that is the case, isn't it? This season, we're going to go from the Valley and Stadium of Light and Hillsborough to Harrogate and Barrow and possibly even Boreham Wood. Is it just me that thinks for the first time this season that this scoreline next week could be anything? I know we've struggled a little bit anyway, but but I generally think next week we go there and it could be it could be one of the two things. We'll either get, we'll lose 2-0 and we'll think, oh, that's not a bad result, actually. We could get absolutely tonked and I, I just don't know what to expect. I, it, it will come down to what you said, Steve, now. whether the players get overawed or not. And if you do, it could be heavy. Okay. I, I just want to say that I feel less pessimistic about the Sunderland game than I do um, the Portsmouth game at home. S- Sunderland um, have a lot of money and they continually underachieve. They've also got a crowd that is less forgiving than, say, the Portsmouth fans seem to be. Um and I think that if we do continue to hold out like we have done in recent games, I think the Sunderland crowd could get on top of their team. Um, and I think their form is too erratic. I mean, I know that they're reasonably well-placed, but their form is very erratic. They don't seem to set up runs. Um, they do seem to lose the odd game where you expect them not to lose. Uh I'm not saying we're going to win. I just feel a little less pessimistic about it than I do at the home game against Portsmouth. Can you use his bit and not mine? <laughs> well, it, it has to be better than the home game, doesn't it? You know, that home game. I think that was when we were at peak frustration, peak disappointment of the season. It was just after just after or just before the Fleetwood 3-0 away Fleet, game. It was just after Fleetwood, yeah. And I think we had McFadzi in at left-back. We had, I think, Charles Thomas played that day. Did Donovan score an own goal? So Terrell Thomas, I think, scored no goal that day. Yeah, um, I'm trying to erase it from the memory. But, um, Booed in his own right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think it, it, you're right. We, it's one if we do stay in the game for as long as possible. And again, this is nothing to be celebrated. There, there's going to be thirty or thousand people in there, regardless. That they're, they're going to expect us just to, for them just to turn up and roll us over. So. It will be interesting if we can stay in the game for as long as we can. So I spoke to the Roka Report for their take on the game coming up on Saturday. So I'm joined now by Gav from Roka Report. Always nice to have you guys on. Hi, Gav. Hi, how's it going? All good, thank you. Um, so we'll start with the game against Crew in October. It wasn't much of a contest, um, a 4-0 Sunderland win. Uh, at that stage, you guys were second in the league and possibly looking up. Yes, flying. Unfortunately, uh, things haven't been quite as great since then, but October was a long time ago now when you think about it. I mean, this this season's just flown over, hasn't it? Um, but that game, yeah, we, we were pretty convincing. And at that time, um, Sunderland were convincing. We were in a good run. I think actually that game, if I remember rightly, 
was right before our first big slump of the season. So it sort of took a downturn after we played crew. I'm just that's when it started to sort of go downhill. Um, but yeah, that, that game in particular, though, we played really well. Um, a lot of players involved that day either aren't playing now or are injured or have left the club. So things have changed quite a bit since then, even just for us. I think I'm just looking now. Aidan McGeady played. Um, Aidan O'Brien played. Callum Doyle played. Tom Flanagan played. Luke O'Neill played. Thorben Hoffman played. And these are all players who just aren't in our team at the minute. So, so yeah, things have changed a little bit, it's safe to say. Now, I said before, you were second in the league with that win. Um, were you expecting to be competing for automatic promotion? You've just mentioned a lot of players have changed. What is it that's gone wrong since then? Well, where do I start? Uh, well, Lee Johnson obviously was the manager at the time. And um, jo- Johnson had this thing which has followed him from Bristol City where he goes on these streaks of wins and losses. And I think that that reputation was inevitably his downfall at Sunderland, unfortunately. And it might, in hindsight, seem a bit unfair because results haven't really improved since he left. Um, but when you look at it, I mean, we that was a real high point for us in the season when we played you guys. We were second. We'd, um, we'd been on a run of four wins in all competitions, so things were going pretty well. And then you look what happened after that, and, yeah, the form, form was poor. We didn't really... Um, have a very good October and into November at all. We lost uh, against Charlton, like I said before, but then we also got hammered away at Rotherham and Chef Wed and then lost in the Cup to Mansfield. And yeah, things started to take a downturn from there. But Johnson stabilised us towards the end of November and then into December, we had a couple of decent results where we, we battered Morecambe at home and we beat Plymouth, who were a promotion rival. So we were still in that sort of top three, four mix. And then uh, at the turn of the year, we beat Doncaster and then we beat um, Chef Wed 5-0 at home. Chef Wed were in there. They're actually above us on the table now. And that put us top of the division. And basically, since the turn of the year, it hasn't been great. Um, we've won since since the turn of the year just two games. One of those was against Portsmouth at home and then the other was last weekend um, against Wigan. So... We've really struggled, to be honest, since the turn of the year. And Alex Neal since came in because Johnson's left, tried to pick up the pieces a little bit and try and rescue the season. But at the minute, to a lot of fans, they're sort of wondering, are we even going to have enough to, to finish in the playoffs? And it just shows you really, since the turn of the year, I'm talking about someone at the top of the table, how quickly things change. Were the vast majority of the Sunderland fans behind that change then, Alex Neal coming in, Lee Johnson leaving, or was it sort of split? I would say a split. I would say probably more people. Um, it depends where you look. If you look on social media, then there's, there was quite a strong voice behind Johnson leaving. But I don't. I still don't think um, people expected it. I certainly didn't. I found out the news. It was like late on a Sunday night, and I was like, "Whoa!" I did not see that coming. I mean, we'd just been beaten six 0 away at Bolton, and um, that's probably the worst result in this club's history when you put it all into perspective. You know, we're in the third tier, losing six 0 away. Probably the worst result we've ever had, and Johnson was was the casualty off the back of that result. But we followed that up by messing around with the process to recruit a new manager, and that's to me the catalyst for how results sort of tailed off even further. You know, we we put in two uh, coaches in charge temporarily while they tried to recruit Roy Keane, who was never going to take the job. Um, 
we lost against Doncaster and Cheltenham, who were the two teams in the league with the worst form, and then went to Wimbledon and Drew, which was might have been Neil's first game. I can't remember, um, but really that period where they, they 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 didn't act quickly enough to replace Lee Johnson, uh, I think, it's killed our season off in terms of the automatic promotion spots. So I don't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say that people were were really fully behind it. I think there was probably a split, but I think in hindsight now, more people are sitting going, well, you took that long to replace and results haven't improved. Would we have been worse off with Lee Johnson in charge? I don't think so. And that's a bit where we're at. I don't think people are unhappy with Alex Neal. People are pretty glad to see him. He's done a decent enough job so far. I think people like the way that he talks. People like the way that he, you know, reacts to things. Lee Johnson very much likes to... um, it's very technical in the way he talks about things, whereas Alex Neal's, well, he's Scottish, isn't he? So he's very straight talking and there are people, I, I quite like that. And I quite like the fact that he, he isn't afraid to um, to say something if it needs to be said. But I don't know, it might be a little bit too late now for him to really be able to make a meaningful change and with, what, 10, 9, 10 games to go, he just has to make sure we finish in the playoffs and we have to go into the playoffs, hopefully, fingers crossed, with a bit of momentum. Well, I think you've sort of touched on my next question there, which is, is this the season Sunderland finally get out of League One? Um, you've said it's not going to be automatic. Is it going to be in the playoffs? Are you hopeful that's going to happen? Well, I'm hopeful, but whether it happens is another thing. Um, we've been in this division now for four seasons. First season, we blew automatic promotion. It was in our hands. We had games in hand. We blew it and then went into a playoff campaign where everyone was flat and people people didn't really want to be there. And we did make it to the final and Charlton beat us right near the end of the game to get promoted. And, you know, we, really, we should have got automatic promotion that year because it was literally there. We, it was begging. Um, second season, we were unlucky because it was, as you might remember, it was the season where everything was decided on points per game. Due to, uh, due to the pandemic and Wickham went up despite not playing, uh, even being in the top eight and some of them were. And I think people were out around the time. The last game we played uh, before the pandemic was away at Bristol Rovers and we lost 2-0 and Bristol Rovers were in terrible form. They had one in 13 or 14 games. And if we'd won that game, the points per game, we would have went up. And I think when you think about it that way, really unlucky not to go up that season, but it might have been a bit too early for us. Uh, last year, similar to the first year, automatics were there begging if we wanted them. We didn't take it and then lost in the semi-finals to Lincoln. And again, no momentum going into it. So this year, um, although we've blown the automatics a little bit earlier than we normally do, um, what's important, I think, is just, just take the next 10 games as they are. Don't think about the automatics because they're, they're totally out of reach. We are never getting there. Um, just concentrate on finishing in the top six, but importantly, concentrate on shoring up the defence, which has been leaky all season. And Alex Neal's credit, last two games, two clean sheets. We're, we're pretty happy with that. Uh, but the other side is just winning more games and picking up more points. And if we do finish in the top six, and I think we will, when we play those playoff games, we aren't going into them like we did in the last two, which was totally out of form. Um demotivated, not really focused on the fact we were there and yeah, just make sure that 
we can be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And that sounds very easy in, in you know, just saying it. Um, you, you know, Sunderland are a massive team, massive expectations, and people want us to um, to walk the league. And as we found out for four seasons, it just isn't that easy. It just isn't that easy, unfortunately. For whatever reason, we haven't had enough about us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still on the fence. I don't know whether we'll make it. I would say that if you if you sat and you timelined the season, that everything points towards another year in League One, if you were being brutally honest. And I think neutral's probably looking at it that way. Um, just being Sunderland and just having... I mean, I still believe we've got the most talented squad in the league. In terms of depth, it's ridiculous. We've got so many good players. There's so many players right now who either aren't making the bench or are injured that would walk in in pretty much every other team in this division. And you just think, it isn't enough. It isn't enough to just be good. Sometimes you've got to have a little bit more about you. And yeah, let's just hope that Alex Neal can find that little bit something extra going into the playoffs, I guess. Let's just um, finish with one big question then. Um, you've just mentioned players. You mentioned earlier on that the team that played at Gresty Road, the Alexandra Stadium, Mornflakes, whatever you want to call it, is very different to the team that's likely to take the field on Saturday. Who should we be looking out for now? Who pulls the strings in this current side? Well, you've got the league's top scorer, Ross Stewart, up front. So first and foremost, him. Um, I think it was when we, when we beat Portsmouth, Danny Cowley came out and said um, that performance right there is why Ross Stewart is the best striker in, in the division. And it's it's good that he's getting recognition for what he does because you might just look at the top scorer charts and think, all right, he's a good, he must be a good striker. He scores goals. But as we learned last year when we had Charlie White, who got, I think, 31 or 32 for Sunderland, it, sometimes it needs to be more, more than just goals that you're scoring. And... Like our fans weren't particularly, I'll not go down this rabbit hole too far, but our fans weren't particularly bothered when Charlie White left, even though he'd scored all of those goals, because we knew that in Ross Stewart, we'd signed um, a player who can do everything Charlie White can do, but everything that, you know, a complete forward can do. And I think he's destined to play in the Premier League. I do. I think he's only young still. I think he's still 24 or just about to turn 25. Um but he's six foot four, he's strong, he's agile, he's got fantastic feet, he can carry the ball, he can score headers, he can score tap-ins, his movement's good, and he's just a nightmare for defenders. I think off the ball, there isn't a hot, more hard-working player that I've, I've seen since we were in League One, and that goes for every team, probably at this level. He's just a nightmare for defenders, and the worry is really for Sunderland, if we don't go up, he's, he's guaranteed to make the step up into the Championship and someone will pay big money for him. Uh, other than him, I would have said prior to Saturday, Alex Pritchard, but it appears as though Alex Pritchard's picked up a, a, an injury that's going to keep him out for a little while, um, which is good news for you guys, because I think actually, although I've just spent two or three minutes buttering up Ross Stewart, if you're on about the best player in the league, it's got to be Alex Pritchard. He's far too good for League One. How we got him to play at this level is a bit of fortune, I guess. You know, he had a bad move to... Huddersfield, where he was injured quite a lot, and it didn't end on the best of terms there. And he he sort of took a gamble on himself to come to Sunderland and rediscover his own ability and to show people why Premier League teams have spent twenty million pound on him. You know, because he went to Norwich, and it was like funny. It was Alex Neil who um who took him to Norwich, paid eight million pounds to play in the Premier League, and then when Norwich were relegated, Huddersfield broke the bank to make him their record signing. 
Um, and that was when they were both Premier League clubs. And you can see why he was deemed Premier League worthy because he's just so good. And I'm a little bit gutted that, uh, that he won't play. Other than him, it's probably difficult at the minute because like I've been saying, we, we haven't been playing really that well recently. Um, we've made a signing from Fleetwood, uh, a centre midfield player called Jay Matete, who we paid a lot of money for considering we're League One team. I think it was a six or seven hundred thousand pound signing for this kid who's 20 year old and being um, talked about as a potential Premier League midfield player. Apparently Premier League and Championship teams were in for him, but it was only Sunderland who would pay the money because it was quite a big fee for such an unproven player. But he's came straight in and shown exactly why people think so highly of him. He's the, the best comparison I can make, and people might laugh, laugh at this, but the best comparison I can make is he's very similar in his style and the way he plays to a, like an N'Golo Kante. I'm not saying he's anywhere near that standard because obviously N'Golo Kante is the benchmark for the for the you know top class elite level water carrier. But Jamie Tent is that player. He's five foot eight. He doesn't look very big. He's slight. And then you watch two, three players struggle to take the ball off him. He bullies them physically. Aerially, he's probably the best player in the team. Very good defensively with, with the ball in the air and very good pass over the ball. So I think, yeah, yeah it, it all depends on whether Sunderland's defence can remain resolute. Gav, I'm going to let you go, <laughs> but just before I do, can I get your score prediction for the game at the stadium like Saturday? Um, I think we'll win. I do think we'll win. Um, I don't think it'll be a barnstormer. It'll not be like the game in October where we where we ran away with it. We're just not in the same place right now. Um, but I think I'll go for a 2-0. I don't think Crew will score. Gav, thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Cheers. Right, let's do some predictions then for the two games. Last week, Mark came very, very close to the actual time of 14 minutes with his guess of 16, so just two minutes away. Didn't move up the league, but he did improve his PPG. Alex and Tom a little further away with guesses of 35 and 22, respectively. Gary, you are top of the three that are on today. Uh, You can go first with your Portsmouth prediction, please. Right. Um, 16 minutes. Okay. Steve Davis? Let's go 25. And Steve Dale. I'll stick with the low theme, just sort of going in what happened yesterday. I'm going to go for 18th. Okay, and then reverse the order for Sunderland, Steve Dale? Uh, 7th. Steve? We need to stay in the game as long as we can, so two minutes. (laughs) And Gary? 45. Excellent. A little bit more. I'm I'm assuming these are all crew goals, yeah? Uh... When I said two, that's the amount we're going to score for the rest of the season. Is that is that a new game? <laughs> yeah. Um, right, OK. We've got a couple of things to discuss before we go today. Firstly, the fans forum. Um, I, along with Steve, uh, Steve Davis and Gary, were watching online or caught up online. Steve Dale, you were actually there, weren't you? I was, yeah. I, I, I realised on Thursday night that I officially have no life um, if I'm going to attend something like that um, in my spare time. But, yeah, I was there. We'll come on to some of the sound issues um, with the people watching online shortly. But Steve, as you were there, what was it like? What was the sort of the atmosphere inside the room? Did it feel hostile? Did it feel angry? Or was it, you know, sort of dejected? I thought it felt 
kind of how it did in the stand yesterday. I, I, I thought, I thought there were some quite intelligent questions, and I've, I've got, I've got to say, I thought, I, I thought they were um, well constructed, and there certainly wasn't any uh, bad feeling that you can get from them, from some of them places. And I think Charles Grant summed it up at the end where he said, if it was another club, they'd be spending an hour and a half firefighting. But I think, particularly with crew fans, they do have um, a good. I'd say the vast majority do have a good sense of where we are. They do understand and think that that they came off, they came across quite well in the way, the way they asked the questions. Um, in terms of the answer, I, I didn't agree with everything they said. Uh, I've got I've got to say I thought a few bits, especially in regards to the recruitment, had a little bit to be desired. They clearly put a lot of trust in Artel that hasn't paid off, and and now they didn't seem to know where to go with it next. But they were honest, and I think as a fan you have to respect that they. Every single one of them, including the manager, stood up and said they'd made mistakes. And I think if you if if you get honesty, you have to appreciate it when you get it, even if you don't always agree with it. Yeah, I think, and I, you know, I apologise to Mark and Steve Bennett if I speak for them, but that you know, the feeling I got from you and from the two of them were that these are people that care about the club and they've made mistakes and they're sort of standing up and saying these are the mistakes we've made, we've learned from them. Steve Davis, is that enough? Do we want people who are accepting that they've made mistakes and they're going to learn from it? Or are we wanting people who don't want to, who shouldn't be making these mistakes in the first place? Mistakes happen. You know, we're we're all probably going to go to work tomorrow or this week and, you know, potentially make a mistake in our own job. So should football be any different? Um, Absolutely not. We've also got to remember that we have got a relatively new manager. in terms of experience um, and a new board. So ultimately, mistakes are going to happen. Unfortunately, they've, the ones they've, they've made, um, of course, pain's probably not the right word, but it's caused an horrendous season. What we One don't of the things that I is... picked up from being there was that, we, we, I mean, we know anyway, but these people who own the club are supporters. And it, I got the impression that they speak about the same situations that we do in sort of their own private way maybe with a bit more level-headed views than we have on social media sometimes but but I did get the impression that the things that we consider to be issues are well known to them and they do discuss it in a way that it's that affects them. Gary one thing I noticed um, or one point that was made that we've talked about on this pod previously a few times is a director of football someone to take the pressure off Artel from effectively doing everything and it seemed to be like he was quite um open to this idea is that something you'd like to see brought in for next year yeah because i think i've expressed the idea in the past that he clearly has too much to do um it's not a criticism of him at all and and i do think that the bit that i saw where we just they discussed that in the fans forum i don't think the point was taken that way the question was asked, but they didn't deal with it as, as sort of taking a layer of, of responsibility away from Artel and giving him a bit of a life instead of being a 24-7 manager. Um, they just talked about the, the role of director of football as a discrete item. Um, I... Uh, <laughs> 
I seriously think this man is well overworked and I worry for his mental health in the future, the way things are. So I think there has to be some imposition of um, divining up duties or getting in a new person to take some of those duties. And a director of football maybe maybe an idea, but I'm not really sure because Artel is a director of football in a sense um, because he does have an overview. He was academy director as well for a while. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. He definitely needs help, basically. He definitely needs help. Um, he shouldn't be working as long hours as he does. I say that from a former trade unionist. <laughs> Just to add to what you said there, Gary, I spoke to Artel um, on a personal level after the forum, because you, you always get a chance to mingle with people and have a chat if you want to. And I, I asked, just asked him a simple question. Um, what have you learned, basically? Because I, I, it's a well-known thing in human terms that you always learn more during the bad than you do the good. And he just turned around to me and said, he, he turned around to me and said he's learned more in the past three months than he had done in the previous two years, which I thought was honest. And he's, he's realised that he can't do it all himself. And I, and I think that's a big learning curve for the club more than anything else, because while, while Artel... Well, Artel cares and clearly got the passion to do all that work. If if he was to be replaced tomorrow, say we've got to be twenty five nil against Portsmouth on Tuesday, for example, and another manager has come through the door, they'd have exactly the same issues. And I'm not sure under any circumstances that's sustainable. You, you might question his tactics, you might question his recruitment methods, but while you've got them restrictions, you're always going to have the same issues. And I think I think it's something for the club to to address and they need to have in place by next season because it's not going to do anybody any good. It's this whole idea, as, as was mentioned in passing, about people on social media crashing down on him. Um, we are a, develop, a developmental club and that we, we, we know that that applies to the players. We don't expect our players to be perfect, otherwise they wouldn't be here in the first place. We know that they're going to grow and they're going to develop or hopefully grow into better players. The same has to be true for Artel as well. There, a lot of people keep saying stupid things like, oh, if he was in business, he'd be sacked already, blah, blah, blah. But no, business is not stupid either. They're, the point about development is you learn from mistakes. If you don't notice that there are mistakes, then there's something wrong. So at least he's actually, he actually can see that there are mistakes. The club allows him to make mistakes. And thankfully, the fans that were at the forum, it appears, were also able to see that he could make mistakes. We can't expect perfection and we shouldn't expect perfection. Mistakes are a developmental, past the developmental process. I, I just basically wanted to make the point that Sometimes you don't always get a fair reflection on social media. And I know we've defended the manager quite a lot um, in time, but there was there was a question in regards to recruitment and about Brexit. And I've noticed that that's got quite a lot of negative publicity. And, and, I, and I think that's I think it needs to be pointed out that you can only take so much from a tweet. It was actually quite an articulate answer in regards to 
Premier League clubs not loading out young players like they normally do because they've got to stockpile them compared to recruiting from abroad and why that was important and where our recruitment market was. And all you see on a tweet was, Brexit makes it difficult. So I, th- I think we, we need to remember that what you see on social media and what someone says isn't always reality. It, it was an articulate answer about something that just mentioned the word Brexit. It's happened already this season. You know, the Sheffield Wednesday, the, the Real Madrid of League One. And, you know, that throwaway sentence is a terrible soundbite, but the actual interview is explained. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good point, Steve. Just to wrap up on the fans forum, as much as I really, really appreciate the efforts of the club to put these things online, especially as an expat supporter, um, the sound was a little bit reminiscent. I don't know if you remember back when we started this pod and there was the friendlier Nantwich and uh, it was either facing the sun and then the sun went down and it was pitch darkness. So, yeah, uh, we can all learn from mistakes, as I'm sure people would say about this podcast as well, possibly. Um, Steve Davis, I'm going to come to you for a final point for today's pod then. Um, There was an announcement by the club this weekend in line with International Women's Day on Tuesday this week coming and EFL's Women's Weekend that the club have announced their partnership with the Her Game 2 movement. That's something you're happy to see? Absolutely. Um, women's football's on a rise. Obviously, Sky have got involved with the WSL. Um, I can see that the Alex are now promoting, well, they do promote our game at the, or the women's game. We talk about the women's game on a pod. So the more interaction with that, the better, I think. Um, and I don't think it'll be too long before the Gresty Road Beach, as we call it, will be hosting, uh, hosting women's football. Yeah, from what I can see, from what I know about the the her game to um, campaign it was set up by a group of female footballers aiming to tackle sexist abuse at games so you know anything we can do to support that Steve Dell in whatever way that is that's only a positive isn't it also yeah football is and always should be a game for everyone regardless of what regardless of your work regardless of your age regardless of your race regardless of your beliefs everything you should always be able to go to football and enjoy yourself it's as simple as that yeah, absolutely. Uh, something I 100% echo, you know, race, religion, gender, sexuality, any of these should not be a prerequisite to you going to a game of football. Um, and I'm going to repeat myself, something I've said on here a few times, and I've said it online a few times. If there are any women listening who support the Alex and would like to come on as a panellist, please do so, because we are a very male-heavy podcast, and that is only because the people that put their name forward are men, not women. Can I just come in one small point about that? Of course. Yeah. Um, something that annoyed me and annoyed my partner, who is also a season ticket holder, that the announcement of the women's weekend, it was in pink. Uh, you know, what century are we in? <laughs> you know, this... Oh, it's an announcement about women, so therefore we have to do it in pink. I've got to admit, I didn't notice that, but it's a, yeah, it's a very good point you raised. We do need to move away from them stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So other than that, Gary, something for the club to take on board, a broadly positive message for us to end today's pod on. I'll be honest, you know, it's felt a bit down in here today. I felt a bit down at the game yesterday. So that is a nice positive thing to finish on, the, the Her Game 2 movement finally being aligned with the club. Yeah. Right. Um, so let's finish there. Um, the next pod, 
could be out on Thursday. Producer Dave has pulled a blinder with what I hope is going to be our next guest. We're due to be recording at some point this week. Until it does happen, I'm not sure I'm going to believe it will happen. If it does, we'll announce who it is on Wednesday and release the pod on Thursday. Until then, though, Steve, Steve and Gary, thank you for coming on. Cheers. Cheers, Thank you as ever for listening. Uh, We'll be back, like I say, fingers crossed on Thursday, uh, if not then, Monday. Until whenever that is, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.